Welcome to the Answer Religious Era show. My name is Brian Garlock, and this is our live Bible Q&A. If you have a Bible question, please send it to us now. You can email us, questions at answeringreligiousera.com. Again, that's questions at answeringreligiousera.com. If, if you want to get a hold of us, that is the best way, or you can private message us, facebook.com slash answeringreligiousera. Uh, there are a lot of shares that are on Facebook, and so if you comment with a question on a just a random shared video, we might not see it. So email us or private message us on our Facebook page. You can also come on the show if you'd like and show your face. We'd encourage you to do so. You can follow the instructions there on the video description for Facebook and YouTube. Um, and just follow those instructions and we will bring you on the show and let you ask the panel your question. Maybe go back and forth with them for a few minutes and uh, be a neat little experience there. You can also view us on Twitter now and on podcasts. And so uh, if you're not able to watch the show live, you want to listen to the uh, the show afterwards, you can on all major podcast platforms. And this show will be uploaded immediately after we go live on video. And then also I'd like to uh, let you know about another podcast show that we have. It's Monday through Friday with Mark Dunnigan, and it is 5 a.m. It's called The Daily Answer. And so if you are interested in learning about what the daily answer is in your life, what you need to know about God's word, about living in this world, using the wisdom that God has given us to really uh, fight uh, temptation and fight the devil and fight this world as you uh, wake up, as you go to work, as you go to school, Whatever the case may be, you need the daily answer. Mark Dunnigan has it. It's Monday through Friday at 5 a.m. And so check that out on all major podcast platforms. You will be challenged. You will be encouraged as well. And so we encourage you to check that out. All right, panel, how are you doing? It's good to see everyone. Doing Steve well here. Nick, Terry. Nick is filling in again for us. Uh, he's becoming a regular. Not sure if we like that or not, but we'll we'll let it slide for now. I'm just playing with you, Nick. I'm just playing. Brian, it's good to have you back. You were gone for what, two weeks? It was, uh, that's, yep, that's right. Yeah. Two weeks. It was, it was tough. It, it was, it was. We, we really enjoy you, uh, and your comments on the show, brother. I, I really do. So I do, at least. I don't know about the, the others, yeah, but not so much. Yeah. Well, it's, it's the spelling of your name. That's what really messes everything up. Yeah. All right. Let's have a word of prayer and then we will uh, get going. Uh, Stephen, won't you lead us in that? All right. Let's bow together. Our holy and righteous Father, our kind King, we come before your throne giving thanks for uh, all that you have blessed us with, most especially that you have uh, made yourself known to us, that you have done so through your word, that you have um, providentially preserved over the years, that we can continue to uh, look back to the wisdom that you have delivered from the very beginning to man until down to uh, all, all the way through the completion of the revelation through your son coming to live a life on earth that we may witness uh, what it is, the, the example of, of God among us. Fathers, we strive to uh, open up that word today as we strive to answer questions from your word, help us to uh, have wisdom and uh, help us to um, be faithful and true to who you are and who you've revealed yourself to be. We pray that we can all gain the most from our time spent here this day. These things we pray in your son's name. Amen. 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 Appreciate the prayer. All right. Live Bible Q&A. Send your questions in now. Email us questions at answeringreligiousera.com. Private message us, facebook.com 
slash answering religious error, or you can come on the show by following the instructions in the video description for Facebook and YouTube. But first, it is meme time. All right. Uh, today's meme is going around on social media. It's uh, got a picture of Jesus on the cross. Underneath that is a picture of uh, a man baptizing another individual. And at the top, it says, it's the blood, not the water. Um, you might hear this uh, in circles where you begin to talk about how baptism saves. You know, you have the scriptures do affirm that, that baptism is for the forgiveness of sins. It is that which puts us into Christ, into the body of Christ. And so if you go around teaching what the scriptures say, you might have someone say, oh, no, 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 no. It, it, it's the blood that saves. It's, it's not the water. Or you might be charged with believing in water salvation. So we want to handle this meme and uh, see what uh, what the panel has to say uh, about uh, answering this charge here. Uh, Nick, let's start with you. I always start with Stephen because he's underneath me, but we'll start at the bottom. Go ahead. Yeah, so I can appreciate some of the principles that this meme is trying to get across, uh, but I think it's missing the point uh, that uh, by trying to emphasize that water is not necessary because as we can see in the scriptures that it certainly is. Uh, the Ethiopian eunuch in Acts 8 says, here is water, what hinders me from being baptized? And so we know that water is a critical element uh, in our obedience when we're coming to Christ. And so when I talk about uh, how we are saved, uh, we have to have both sides of the equation. We have to have the side where God is working, and then we have to have the side where we're working. And so I ask two questions. You know, what saves us? What washes away our sins? And according to Ephesians chapter 1, Revelation chapter 1, uh, we know that it is, in fact, the blood of Christ that washes away our sins. And so there's no question at all about that. Uh, everyone here in this panel, we all agree that what washes our sins away is the blood of Christ. But what this meme fails to answer is when does the blood of Christ wash away our sins? And that's when water baptism comes into effect, because we see that uh, that not everybody is going to be saved by the blood of Christ. And so only those who come to him in obedience. And at what point in, in our obedience does the blood of Christ wash our sins away? It's when we come to him in obedience through baptism. Acts chapter 22 and verse 16. Uh, why do you wait? Arise and be baptized and wash away your sins. And so ask those two questions. What washes away your sins? And when does the blood of Christ wash away your sins? And that's how I usually address this concept. And I think that's, that's very good. I think another thing along that line is to, uh, to ask the question back to the person. What uh, is the blood not believing? Could, would they, would they uh, allow that, that it's the blood not believing? So therefore, would you conclude that believing is not essential? Uh, it's the blood, not believe, not the believing. Uh, so, yeah, uh, it, as uh, was mentioned, it's the blood that is the element that does the washing of. But the when is when your faith leads you to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. And you could look at Acts two thirty seven. They asked, "What shall we do?" And Peter said, "It's the blood, not the water." No, that's not what Peter said. Peter said, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for remission of sins. Is he saying that it's the water, not the blood? No, he's saying it's the blood when you are baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. It's the blood 
when you do do what the Lord said. Those are my thoughts. Pretty great stuff there. First uh, John chapter five, John says in verse 13 that uh, the things he's written is for those who are saved, that we can know that we're saved. Right before that, he talks about the idea of those things that testify, uh, contextually testify to our salvation. And he says something uh, about this. He says in verse eight, there are, there are three that bear witness on the earth, the spirit, the water, and the blood. These three agree is one. Now he had said that again in verse six, when he says uh, the one who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ, not water only, water with the blood. You know what's kind of significant about these statements is we're being told that these three things are inseparable towards our salvation. Um, and in fact, uh, whether you see verse seven is attached or not, you, you could even make the context that they're as inseparable as the Trinity uh, in the context. Uh, at least some people might see it that way, but certainly they're inseparable. We can't say you can have the testimony of one without the other. Uh, a person can't be baptized and, you know, baptized into Christ if they don't have the knowledge of truth, the spirit of knowledge of truth. That, that doesn't testify to our salvation. Uh, the Christ died on the cross and the Holy Spirit reveals us. But if we do nothing about it, we're not going to be saved. And if I'd been baptized prior to the death of Jesus, that baptism wouldn't have saved me. All three of these things must testify together for the assurance of my salvation. And First John chapter 5 is a very clear statement that all three testify as one. They're, they can't be broken apart for my salvation. This uh, meme is very much trying to break them apart, to separate these things when the scriptures want us to understand it, that they cannot be separated. I appreciate that. Stephen? Yeah. So um, uh, in addition to all of that, I, I just want to address the the way that, that this statement can be made that is truthful. Um, and it's similar to what we see with Paul, um, particularly in the book of Galatians, talking about not by works, um, and then we go over to James chapter two, and he says works are uh, essential, that we are justified by works. So we're not justified by works and we are justified by works. And here we've got not the water and, and yes, the water. And these guys have done a good job of explaining uh, in what way it is. Yes, by the water. Um, but I think that we see that all through scriptures, this sort of uh, this, not this. Uh, Matthew chapter 12, for instance, when when Jesus, Jesus's disciples are being condemned for their activity uh, on the Sabbath, Jesus says, if you had known what this means, uh, I desire compassion or mercy and not sacrifice. You would not have condemned the innocent. Um, a couple of things I would note there. First of all, um, that sacrifice was an essential element of a relationship towards God all throughout the Old Testament. But that sacrifice divorced uh, from um, mercy, divorced from compassion, divorced from a heart for God is meaningless, right? So here's the foundation and God saying, I want this, not this. And then you look back and really what he wants is this is the foundation and then this built on top of that. Um, and the same thing is true, I think, with the Apostle Paul. I think that the Jews had divorced the action from the heart of the action. They had divorced the work from the one who gave them the work or the law from the lawgiver. And so our, our relationship to God is always predicated on a, a faithfulness and a loyalty to the lawgiver, not the law itself. Now, what people think that means sometimes is that you don't have to keep the law, but that's absurd. If you're loyal to the lawgiver, you will keep the law, but you will keep it with a mind of loyalty to the law 
giver, right? It's, it's in that direction. So in the case of the Jews, what happened is when the uh, law of circumcision, for instance, came to its fulfillment in Christ, they could not surrender circumcision because their loyalty was to the law and not the lawgiver. And I think that that can happen in various ways for us as well, where our focus ends up being uh, on the law instead of the lawgiver, and instead of uh, understanding the entirety of what's happening, for instance, at baptism, uh, people baptize babies or infants. Well, that's divorcing. That's, that's taking the work and divorcing it from the thing that the work represents or the, the one that the work represents. And so I, I think that um, we have to be careful to maintain that connection. So there's a way in which absolutely, I think Paul might could use this language and say, it's the blood, not the water. But if you're using that to say, now then don't worry about the water. Well, then you're doing what Jesus said, don't do in Matthew chapter five, which is you're annulling or, or you are dismissing uh, a command of God. And we certainly don't want to be guilty of that. Appreciate those comments. That's great wisdom there, brother. All right. That's uh, all the time we have for the meantime. If you have a meme that you see floating around out there and the uh, social on social media that maybe is causing you some trouble, maybe causing you some doubt, you don't know how to answer, send it to us. You can email us questions at answeringreligiousair.com or private message us, facebook.com slash answeringreligiousair. All right. It's time for our very first question. And this goes back to last week. Uh, we were uh, commenting with a viewer named Sarah who was uh, – commenting on the show um and the the show uh, abruptly stopped uh for some certain reasons and so uh we're going to pick up with that question and we've kind of taken her comments here and made it into a question because this is really really where, where it was going and Stephen, you were talking when the show got cut off so i'm gonna i'm gonna call on you first and uh give me your answer to these these questions of what did jesus mean by it is finished because uh, she brought that up uh as well as uh what do people today mean by the finished work of christ uh, go ahead, Stephen. Yeah, so let me let me start by answering the question, and then I'd like to pick up where um, we left off last time. Um, did I freeze up again? Let's see here. Yeah, you're frozen on my end, but I can hear you. Okay, well, but it's a good it's a good frozen face, so just okay, roll with it. Good deal. All right, so um, as far as Jesus saying it is finished, um, what is finished is is what had begun to be prophesied in Genesis chapter 3 and verse 15. The plan that God had been building on and the promises that God had been building on have all come to fruition uh, and completion in the work that Jesus had come to earth to do. And at the cross, we find the, the culmination of all those promises. It's finished. Now, if he meant it's finished and there's nothing else to do, uh, then the book of Acts and everything after uh, becomes quite superfluous. Uh, all the instruction, the questions that are asked and the, the answers that are given are, are absurdities um, because every answer should be it's finished. It's finished. It's finished. Um, but of course, that's not the answer. Uh, there are lots of questions still to ask. There's lots of work uh, yet to do. Um, but the work is all pointing backwards now. One of the things I try to do in, in studying the Bible with people is show how everything up to the cross points forward and everything after the cross points backward. It is the pivotal moment in all of human history. Um, and so that's what it means. It's finished. But our work is pointing back to and is built upon 
the finished work of Christ. Now, what we were talking about last uh, week when we got cut off was Jeremiah chapter 18 and talking about this element of do we do we have to do or do we have any response or responsibility or is it all God's sovereignty? And in Jeremiah chapter 18, uh, Jeremiah is told to go down to the house of the potter. He's to observe the potter. And what he observes is that the potter is making uh, making something with a lump of clay and it's it's spoiled. It's spoiled in his hand. And, and after it's spoiled, he uh, redirects his efforts and makes something else out of that lump of clay. Well, the, the difficulty for people who, who take a um, sort of a meticulous sovereignty view of God's sovereignty is they think that God controls our every action. And then, and so they completely equate us to clay. Like we are inanimate. We, we are completely passive in all of this and God is only acting on us and we cannot help but be acted upon. But in fact, what the illustration is used to do is suggest that the clay, right? The people are responsive and that they do have a responsibility in this interaction. And if it says uh, God, God pronounces good upon them, but they do wickedness, he'll change his mind. If the people are, are um, doing wicked and God pronounces judgment and they turn around and do good, God will change his mind. And so the conclusion is uh, to the people, you can decide whether or not this judgment comes by your behavior right? You're, you're the one who chooses this. But the very interesting part is at the conclusion of all of that, um, the people say in verse 12, they say, it says, they will say, it's hopeless for we are going to follow our plans and each of us will act according to the, according to the stubbornness of his evil heart. So the people are the ones who say we can't change. There's nothing that we can do differently. Jeremiah, God is saying, oh yes, you can and so I think it's it, it, it's so ironic that people today come and say, we don't have any choice. We're going to do whatever it is that we've been predetermined and predestined to do. And we don't have any uh, accountability or, or ability. And here is God in one and many of many occasions saying, you are the one who have uh, the choice in the matter. And you're the one that has to make that decision. Sure. I always hate to comment after Stephen. I just, yeah, no. I don't have anything too exciting. Right. Uh, I was thinking though, Jesus makes that statement. It is finished on the cross, John 19, but, but he can't be talking about the plan of salvation because the gospel is defined as Jesus's death, burial and resurrection. And when, uh, for example, when we're baptized, we're buried in his death, but we arise with his resurrection. His resurrection is a substantial part of the gospel, the plan of salvation. Jesus can't be saying it is finished in regards to salvation because it's not finished. It doesn't finish for a few more days with his resurrection. So that's impossible. But what it could mean and what the rest of the scriptures tell us it means, he's talking about the old law, the law of Moses, that these things that uh, we're told back in Matthew chapter five, Jesus says, until all is fulfilled, you know, none, none of this passes away, that, that Jesus could be very distinctly telling us that those things now passed away, they'd come to an end, or as he says in Colossians two, nailed to the cross. So the, the concept that somehow it is finished is a reference to the plan of salvation um, doesn't, doesn't work. It, it doesn't make sense. Um, I'd love to go on with what Stephen said, but it'd just be beating a, 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 the horse, uh, the equine with a, with a piece of wood. So I'll let that go. Just say it was some great comments. I, I, I was glad to hear. Amen.
in summary, I would say the means of salvation was accomplished and finished at the cross. That's the blood of Christ. The application is never finished. Uh, it is always it, the case that God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Well, how many need to come to repentance? Well, everybody does. Well, it, was it finished at the cross that salvation was already distributed to this person, to everybody, because God wants everybody to be saved? No, the application is still available, but the means has been accomplished in the death of Jesus Christ on the, on the cross. And again, I refer to the simple uh, illustration of Acts chapter 2, when the people cried, what shall we do? In Acts 2.37, Peter didn't say, well, it's, you know, it's finished. I mean, what Jesus did finished everything. There's nothing for you to do. Uh, he didn't answer it that way, even though Jesus had said it's finished it is finished. Well, what was finished? The means of salvation. The application is not finished because you need it. And you, to, in order for you to get it, get what Jesus finished, is you're going to have to repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. So the answer that Peter gave is the right one. He, he's not in contradiction to what Jesus said. He's saying, yeah, there's something for you to do. But what Jesus did to make salvation available is accomplished on the cross. Okay. Hey, pre appreciate those comments. Uh, Brian, if you had stepped on Stephen's comments, I would have done this right here to you. There we go. <laughs> All right. Uh, moving on, uh, we have a live question we want to take here. Um, please explain Colossians 2.16. Who wants that one? Now, let me read it first. It says, uh, therefore, no one is to act as your judge in regard to food or drink or in respect to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath day. Now, obviously, that needs to be taken in context with the passage or the verses right above it. But uh, who would like to start us off with answering that? Yeah, I'd say uh, the verses above it and particularly the verse right after it uh, in verse seven, things which are a mere, uh, mere shadow of what is to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. This is the critical issue when we're discussing uh, what the Old Testament is. We, we uh, frequently look at verse 14, and it's very important to look at that, having canceled out the certificate of debt consisting of decrees against us, which was hostile to us, and he's taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. And so there are allusions to uh, the, the law there. Um, and then we get more specificity when we look at verse 16, food restrictions, drink restrictions, festivals, responsibilities, new moons, Sabbaths. But then uh, verse 17, things which are a mere shadow of what, what is to come. I think the important thing is not just for us to recognize that there is a, um, that there's a dividing line between the Old Testament and the New Testament, that the old the the um, the specific instructions of the Old Testament have been nailed to the cross, if we are to use the language here of of Colossians two fourteen, but maybe as importantly to bring in is that they have found their fulfillment in the New Law. So these things were a shadow. It's not just that they they're just gone away and they're gone; they've faded into shadow because the substance is now here. The Sabbath day is still instructive, not because we keep it in the same way, but because we recognize its fulfillment in Jesus. 
Same thing with the food laws. We understand the fulfillment of holiness. We understand uh, the fulfillment of all the feast days. And Jesus is the fulfillment. He is the, the central element of the fulfillment of all these things. And so to continue to keep those things is sort of a denial that Jesus has fulfilled those things. Uh, and that is, is really where the, the um, I think the gross error comes in is that to continue to hold on to these says he, he is not sufficient to have fulfilled those things. Uh, so that's verse 16 says, you know, that no one can come in with an Old Testament passage and say, you're not keeping these laws. Uh, you can point to Christ and say, oh, yes, I am through him. That's where I'm keeping those and being faithful uh, to all that God has said. Nick? Yeah, so this this is a debate that Paul's had to deal with in multiple books, Colossians, Ephesians. I would encourage you to read Ephesians as well, especially chapter two and chapter four. This idea, there's a division between Jew and Gentile, and the Jews are trying to impose upon the Gentiles this requirement to keep the law of Moses. You go back to Acts chapter 15, and up in Antioch, there were some that came from Judea that we're trying to uh, teach the brethren, unless you are circumcised, according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. And when Paul and Barnabas head back down to Jerusalem to figure out what's going on from that church in Jerusalem, uh, it says that some of the Pharisees, the sect of Pharisees who believed, stood up saying it is necessary to circumcise them and to direct them to observe the law of Moses. This was a problem uh, all across uh, the, the church there in the first century. Excuse me. And so this is what Paul's dealing with there in uh, Colossians chapter two. He says, Hey, don't let these people who are trying to push the law of Moses on you judge you in the Sabbath day and these festivals. Uh, they, they were just a mere shadow of the things to come in Christ. And so uh, look at the fuller context and to help you appreciate what's going on, what Paul's trying to deal with there. You know what? One last thing to think about here with Colossians 2 is that uh, the very next verse, he makes the statement that these things are shadows of things to come. On a side note, maybe to add to that kind of need to think about the idea that all these things were shadows of what came in the Christ. You know, the, the idea of clean and unclean foods, well, that's actually a shadow about how sin impacts us. Uh, the shadow of festivals and feast days. Well, we, we think of the Lord's Supper and the sacrifice of Jesus through those things. And finally, Sabbath, Hebrews 4 tells us that the true Sabbath is the one that all believers are awaiting for in heaven. So that's, that's a really neat statement to consider, too, the idea of how those things were merely shadows of what was to come. Just an addition thought to what we had. You're muted, You're muted. Brian. My bad. Uh, we got a, a follow-up question on this question here, a related question. What are your thoughts on Christians today who, like some in the first century, participate in, uh, I hope I'm pronouncing this correctly, cedars or setters, uh, and other Jewish uh, observances, uh, principally to connect the elements to Christ? So I, I think uh, I would say, much like we do in Bible classes, where we bring in physical illustrations, that was an extreme and uncomfortable close-up. Sorry. Yeah, I just lost there. everybody. Uh. <laughs> um, where, where we might come into a kid's, uh, a little kid's Bible class, for instance, and we might bring some elements to, to illustrate. Now, maybe sacrificing a lamb right there in the kid's Bible class wouldn't be ideal, but um, but we, we want to show them, you know, uh, a picture uh, a very visual picture. Really, that's what the law is about. You know, a lot of visual, tangible elements uh, that that point to Christ. 
And uh, I've, I have friends, you know, who are shepherds, uh, who keep sheep and who keep goats and who have done just that in order to try to teach and illustrate what's going on. I think the, the big issue there is just clarity, is understanding uh, the nature of that, understanding that what you're doing in that instance, it's really research, um, but that you're not um, that, that you're not participating that with that in that with the same heart and the same mentality that a Jew would have been, uh, because I think that can be dangerous uh, from the standpoint of of we sort of get uh, maybe carried away with the ceremony as opposed to what the ceremony represents. And, and so I've seen both. And I've seen some people kind of really get, um, I don't know, into into kind of messianic Judaism uh, that way, which which incidentally, there's some around here who are involved in that. And so we we want to just appreciate it from the standpoint of, yes, it is interesting. I think even from a participant standpoint, you can say, oh, here's more we can understand about that. We, we build tabernacle models. We build temple models just to show people here's here's what that looked like so that we can point them forward. As long as it's so that we can point forward, then I, I think there's some great benefit to that. Yeah, Brian. Yeah, great comment, Chris. Um, actually, I've done it. So I've uh, done it a couple of times at the very uh, significant, uh, the very way that Stephen described it. We did it as a teaching opportunity, um, trying to, you know, trying to connect and understand the Passover better and and understand its relevance to us today. Ironically, though, we can't actually observe it like they did then. That was one of the conclusions that we had to come to uh, that that there were just a lot of things. In fact, in fact, we you know I didn't I didn't kill a lamb. You know I uh, I went to the store and just bought the shank. You know and uh, you know a lot of things we couldn't do. Couldn't figure out what the sop was. Uh, a lot of little things like that. But the point was, you know, we tried to use it as a teaching thing, and I've done it several times, and I'll probably do it again um, because it it was a good teaching tool. It did uh, open a lot of eyes and understanding. So uh, I would say, as Stephen described, exactly right. All right. Yeah, it's like Colossians chapter two says you are complete in him. You were incomplete before him. So you were, as long as you can make, make the, uh, the thing clear, Hey, we've got it so much better now. Maybe we did teach uh, something about how difficult it was to go through that process under Judaism, but aren't we so glad we don't have do that anymore and that we are uh, complete in Christ. If that's where, where you're going with it, then I'd say fine, but make sure that's the emphasis that you are saying we don't need to do this. We are complete in Jesus Christ, but maybe that's a teaching tool that helps you appreciate Christ even even more than uh, then use it that way. But, uh, you know, with the, with the conclusion that, oh no, we've got everything we need in Christ Jesus. Yeah, appreciate that. Um, Mark Dunnigan is joining us. He is late to the game. Good to see you there, brother. Uh, real quick, we got a live comment on this. As I have a question about elders. Uh, appreciate that. Send your question to us. Uh, you can email us questions at answeringreligiousair.com or you can com comment right here on the Facebook uh, slash facebook.com slash answeringreligious uh, page, and we'll, we'll take that question, sir. All right, our next question that we have uh, here is how, how – where to go? Have the living waters flowed out of Jerusalem? What are your thoughts on that, guys? The prophetic uh, language of the living waters flowing out of Jerusalem, Jesus talked about the living waters in John chapter 7. He told us it was going to be the Holy Spirit, <clears throat> uh, that when the Holy Spirit was dispersed, that that would be an accomplishment of that. So we see that in Acts chapter 2. Mark? Yeah, 
in uh, in uh, Isaiah chapter two, the word of the Lord, the law of the Lord would go forth from Jerusalem. But then you have Galatians chapter four, verse 26, talking about the Jerusalem above and that it's greater than the Jerusalem that's below. So the one that we're, we get the living waters from is the Jerusalem that's above. And that continues to flow. And then you have Hebrews 11, verse 22. You have come to heavenly Jerusalem. The living waters still flow. I'd ask the question, did the water stop flowing out of Jerusalem? And the answer is obviously no. It hasn't stopped flowing out of heavenly Jerusalem. It's still flowing even to this day uh, by, the, by the gospel of Christ. I might, I might just add one element to that. Um, in Ezekiel chapter 47, of course, we have the, um, the ongoing description of the temple. And um, if you go back to chapter 40, beginning, you can see that that temple, as it's being described, is, is obviously um, not a temple that we see here. Um, it, its uh, dimensions are hard to comprehend, hard to fathom, and, and become increasingly clear that it's, it, it, it's figurative um, measurements that are being given for, for various purposes. And, uh, and I'm not sure I understand all of those. I think I understand some of them. But in that context, in chapter 47, it begins to describe the water that flows from that temple. And that, that that water that flows as a stream that comes up to Ezekiel's ankles and then his knees, his thighs, and then it's to where he's swimming in the water. And I think one of the illustrations we take away from that is that, um, is that no matter how far you get, uh, the water... The, the water becomes more abundant, right? So as sin increases, so does the water of life increases. And so it brings life to, to the, the very far away. And you can, you can trace that back to the temple. So I think that's a beautiful illustration. But the point I'd make here is that it's very obviously, as Terry was just pointing out, uh, not the physical temple uh, that's being represented there as the source of the, the living water. I right, appreciate that. All right. Our next question here. Uh, what does it mean that the Holy Spirit leads us? That's a good question. Well, I would uh, I would refer us to Second uh, Corinthians chapter three, where Paul contrasts the old law that was given at Sinai. And then he talks about the, the ministry of the spirit. Uh, so he contrasts the ministry of death, and that's the Sinai covenant because it didn't save you from sin. It just pointed out what sin was and made it clear to you. Uh, and so it made you uh, feel under the sentence of death. All right. So the spirit then came along in the power of his revelations, the revelations that accumulated to become the New Testament. That's the spirit, the spirit giving us these new revelations through the apostles and the eyewitnesses of Jesus Christ, right? So the spirit was guiding and leading them. And as a consequence, Ephesians chapter two says, now the spirit gave me this by revelation. And I wrote it down in few words, whereby when you read, you may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ. So what are you reading? Well, you're reading the spirit's words that he gave to the apostles, and so how the, the, uh, the understanding that the apostles had 
it becomes your understanding because you're listening to the Spirit's words delivered by, by the Spirit through the apostles. So we're, we're still guided by the Holy Spirit, except we've got it in written form, whereas it was originally in oral form uh, through the apostles and prophets of the New Testament. So what does it mean to be that the Spirit leads us? It means I'm listening to what he said, uh, what he said through the apostles. Uh, when I understand, when I read, I understand what they knew, and I'm led by the same words. Anyone else? All right. Next question here that we have. Uh, since Jesus finished the work of salvation, why do you teach you are separated from Yahweh upon death today, that heaven is closed and faithful Christians are barred from dwelling with their Father and Savior? Because we're still kind of, oh, go ahead, Jerry. Uh, why are why do you teach you are separated from Yahweh upon death today? We're not saying we're separated from Yahweh upon death today. We're saying that we're in Christ Jesus. We're reconciled. Second Corinthians chapter five. That's already accomplished. When you come into Christ, you are united together with Christ, and you are in fellowship with Him. So that when you die, like Paul says, to depart is to be with Christ. Now, did Paul, when Paul died, did he depart and become, uh, was he with Christ? And the answer is yes. Now, that was before AD 70. He died before AD 70, and he departed, and he was with Christ. Now, according to uh, Brother Watson's idea, is Paul should have been separated from Christ, uh, at least for three more years is his idea. Well, that's not so. And so that teaching that you are separated from Yahweh upon death, number one, that's a false assumption. Nobody teaches that. Uh, that heaven is closed. No, we don't teach it's closed. What do you mean by that? Are you saying that we can't uh, be united with Christ and we can't be with him when we, when we die? Uh, even the, even the, uh, the thief on the cross. Today, you will be with me in paradise. Can we be with him in paradise? Of course we can. And that's always been the case. So uh, but, but there's just a lot of false assumption built into this question. And I know why, uh, because uh, this particular uh, writer is a false teacher. He is somebody that teaches the doctrine that uh, that, that uh, AD 70 was when everything, judgment occurred and resurrection occurred, everything occurred in AD 70, and that's just simply not so. And so he's built this big, big elaborate scheme to try to make people think, well, we're not going to go to heaven when we die. No, we, we just as Paul said in Philippians chapter 1, to depart and be with Christ, he could do that before AD 70, and so, so can we after AD 70. Those are my thoughts. The wording of the question uh, kind of uh, is trying to be the old, um, you know, have you stopped beating your wife kind of question where no matter what the answer is going to be, it's something that, that that can be manipulated in a bad way. Kind of, again, to what Terry said, this is not a, uh, a teacher that teaches things accurately, denying the resurrection is the word of God tells us a very dangerous thing. Hebrews chapter six, verses one and two tells us the Hebrew that the resurrection is one of the, 
fundamental principles of our faith, uh, that Jesus will return and the dead will be raised. And that is the great hope that we have. And to deny those things denies our very hope, uh, denies the working of Christ uh, and creates a shipwreck of our faith. So we have to be careful with questions like this. And uh, you note that we are trying to be careful as we answer this uh, to make it clear that the wording of this, trying to manipulate an answer that's just not there um, is is being handled carefully. Terry accurate, answered it accurately. All right. Uh, next question that we have here, and I've lost my producer, so I'm having to do everything here at the same time. Uh, do not take of this in an unworthy manner. What exactly is an unworthy manner? Uh, this is going back to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. If I'm having a bad day or I'm overwhelmed with concerns, should I not take of the Lord's Supper when it's past? That's a great question. Uh, who wants to start us off? Start, us off? start us off. There we go. Well, uh, I, I'd like to observe that he kind of explains it in the text of 1 Corinthians 11. Uh, verse 27, he begins, therefore, whoever eats this bread or drinks this cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. Let a man examine himself and so let him eat of that bread and drink of that cup. For he who drinks in an, uh, eats and drinks in an unworthy manner uh, brings judgment to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. That's his key point right there is what you've done is you've not, you've not engaged the Lord's Supper with discernment, that is without thought. So don't, go, don't engage if you can't uh, engage your thoughts, that is discern the Lord's body. Uh, and, and that's the point. It's not, I'm having a bad day and I can't think as deeply. Well, yeah, that may be the case that you may not can think as deeply as other occasions, but you can think about what Jesus did and did on the cross and you can discern this is this is a memorial to what jesus did yeah there are times when i can think about uh, the death of a loved one more deeply than other times uh, that doesn't mean that i have i have not uh, done in a worthy manner so uh, don't don't uh, say well i can't think as deeply and therefore i i'm not going to do it in a worthy manner so i'm not going to do it at all now, you can always discern the Lord's body. You can always think about it. Sometimes maybe on a deeper level, more involved le level, but always uh, make sure I am thinking about what Jesus did for me. Anyone else? Any other thoughts? Well, well you know, the today. yeah, the context of the passage, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 11 Paul begins with the problem that they're not taking it appropriately. Some are taking it while others don't have anything to take. And at the end of the uh, of that statement or of that chapter, he then tells them that the solution is that they need to wait for one another and discern one another. In the midst of that, he's talking about discerning the body of Christ, which is to say the other believers, the body of Christ is the church, the other believers that we're taking it with. Communion is a common union. It's a, it's a communitive action that a group of people are coming together to take. And truthfully, that's the unworthy manner that Paul is speaking of in the context. The unworthy manner here is that they're not thinking about each other. They're, you know, they're taking it all, you know, just for me. They're not taking it uh, as a group of believers. And so that really is the issue of unworthy manner. 
Now, I think there probably could be other unworthy manners which the uh, Lord's Supper could be taken. It could be taken on the wrong day. Uh, it could be taken uh, with the wrong emblems. I think all of those could be considered unworthy. But in the immediate context here, the context is that we have an understanding that the people we're taking it with, I kind of like to say it like this, that when I'm taking communion with the group of people I take it with, I'm affirming my confidence that, that we're going to heaven. You know, that the, that we're looking for the day because we're proclaiming the Lord's death until he returns and that we have a confidence about these people uh, that, hey, I'm you know, we're working together on salvation. And that's the thought process. I don't think it's I think Terry said it well to say I don't think there's necessarily implied that there's a deep thought process involved. Um, you know, we're going to be distracted. I always say if a deep thought process is involved, anybody with kids until they're six, seven, eight years old is not going to be taking communion properly. Because all they're doing is watching their kids. They're, don't touch that. Don't you know? Don't grab it. Don't. So no, I don't think that could. Uh, I don't think that would be a good way of putting it. It's not about the deep thought. It's about the understanding why we're doing it. All right. Appreciate those comments. Okay, we've got a uh, live comment here. Someone on coming on the show. Martin, how are you doing? Can you hear us, Martin? Uh, doing good. Yeah, I can. Hear What's your you. question? Can you hear me? Yes, sir. What's your question? Thank you, brothers. I appreciate it. My question is in First Timothy chapter 5, verses 17. Uh, so I'm using the ESV version. It says that the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. So I've had some difficulties understanding this, um, uh, this part of the scripture. Well, uh, does it imply that there's some elders who rule well than others? Or does it specifically mean that uh, this passage is, uh, is talking about those who serve in the office of eldership as well as in the office of evangelists? And uh, when it talks about being considered worthy of double honor, does it mean such kind of elders need to be paid? Thank you. Hey, great question, question. brother. So, Martin, I, I would say, um, first of all, the, the word honor, uh, we can see in, um, um, in fact, in this same book where we're told to honor father and mother is attached to financial care uh, for father and mother. And so that's that is uh, a part of what Paul is talking about here. Um, more explicitly, when he says, you shall not muzzle the ox while he is threshing and the laborer is worthy of his wages. It's one of the things that we need to understand about the work of preachers and the work of elders, evangelists and elders, that they are doing work. Um, I think sometimes it's easy for us to not think that way. And, and, and it's important that we don't think of it like it's, it's work just the same as every other work, because it is different. It has a different focus, and it's, it's not identical to maybe um, normal wage labor, but it's still labor. And, uh, and in order to do that labor, it, there's time and energy that's necessary. Uh, and there are times and places in which it is best uh, to provide compensation so that somebody does have the time and energy, so that they're not using all of their time and energy in some other way. I think when Paul talks about himself as a, a maker of tents, he doesn't point to that as the ideal. He says that he did that as a sacrifice uh, in some instances, because it was best for the group that he was preaching for. Uh, but in many instances, his goal is to get that support so that he can focus his attention more uh, on the work that he's trying to do. So 
Um, so yes, I think there is uh, authority here and even commendation here uh, for making sure that people have the time and the energy to do uh, this work that God has given both evangelists and elders. And especially if somebody is holding both offices, uh, that would be um, of particular importance. Yeah, that was well covered. Anybody else want to tackle that though? Okay, Martin, appreciate it. You have any follow-up questions there? That answer that well for you. Um, yeah, and uh, okay. Well, I, I think I, I, I got a part of it and part of it, I think. Uh, what about the elders rule well? When you say it's especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. So is this referring to those who serve as elders as well as evangelists? I mean, this person is an elder and, and is a preacher at the same time. That's what I it means. What, yeah, I, I think what we see in this is that some uh, men preach the gospel and they support themselves while they do that. Others dedicate themselves to preaching the gospel. And we, we sometimes refer to that as full-time uh, evangelism, where you dedicate yourself to preaching the word of God. And it's, therefore you are to be supported by the church. Well, in the same way, uh, elders can dedicate themselves on a full-time basis and say, uh, be involved in teaching on a full-time basis and be supported by the church. And, and they're, they're worthy of their hire either way, but they're, uh, I think the question here is uh, ruling well. The, the church assesses uh, both evangelists and, and elders who are dedicated to preaching and teaching the word. And they assess that, that uh, he needs to be supported uh, with great honor for the work that he's doing. And uh, I think that that is probably the church assessing the honor, the degree of honor that uh, should be paid to that, that evangelist or that elder in this case. Yeah, great comments there. All right, Martin, appreciate you coming on the show and uh, invite you Thanks. to send in more questions or come on again if you like. Thanks for coming on. All right. Uh, that is all the time we have for today. We have a few more live questions and questions that we receive and such uh, lined up, but we will get to that, Lord willing, next Wednesday at 12 p.m. Eastern time. Guys, any last minute comments that you'd like to share with Appreciate us? Appreciate all the comments. Even if we don't agree, we're glad to, uh, to hear it and get an opportunity to answer. Absolutely. All right. Uh, well, other than that, we'll see you next uh, next Tuesday, some of you, uh, for the Keeping My Head On Straight uh, show that we have. Uh, for those who are at home, thank you for tuning in. Thank you for sharing and liking the video. Um, we do want to make a few announcements about our shows that are coming up. Next Monday is Bob's Bible Basics. He was not on the panel today, but he is normally on. And so if you need some basic training in the Word of God, we'd encourage you every Monday on Facebook and YouTube to check out Bob Bob's Bible Basics. That is a tongue twister to say, but... It is every Monday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time. Then on Tuesdays is Keeping My Head On Straight, Tuesdays at 8 p.m. Eastern Time. And uh, that is a show that uh, seeks to tackle different topics that are really affecting the mind, things that are affecting the mind today, the Christian mind. 
We want to make sure that we are having the right perspective, that we are serving Christ with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength. And there are things in this world that try to affect that and try to hinder us from from serving Christ. And so that is a show that helps us to keep our head on straight, spiritually speaking, every Tuesday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time. You can find us on Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, as well as on all uh, major podcast platforms. The audio will be uploaded after the show. Then on Wednesdays at 12 p.m. noon, uh, 12 p.m. Eastern Time is the live Bible Q&A. So if you have a Bible question, email us questions at answeringreligiousair.com. Private message us on Facebook. That's facebook.com slash answeringreligiousair. Or you can come on the show and uh, you can ask your question. Just follow the instructions there um, on the video descriptions for Facebook and YouTube. And then this show will be uploaded audio only to all major podcast platforms right after if you're not able to watch us or view us uh, live. Then on Thursdays is Older Women Likewise. It's a show for women by women. And so if you are a sister in Christ and you want to be encouraged uh, by the scriptures and especially older women who uh, search the scriptures diligently and daily to help them in their spiritual walk, then we would encourage you to sit at their feet and listen to what they have to say about training uh, women in the uh, to be servants within the home, within uh, the family within the local church in the community. That's older women, likewise, every Tuesday or every Thursday, rather, excuse me, at 8 p.m. Eastern time. They are on Facebook, YouTube and podcast following the live broadcasts. And then finally, Monday through Friday, 5 a.m. Eastern time is uh, the Daily Answer with Mark Dunnigan. He was on the show today, but didn't get to talk. Uh, he came in late and uh, having some technical difficulties with his uh, with his internet. But we appreciate so much all that he does for answering religious air. That is the Daily Answer podcast, Monday through Friday, 5 a.m. Eastern time. We encourage you to reach out to us if you cannot find that podcast. We want to make sure it's everywhere out there. Um, just type in the answering religious air or talk, type in answering religious air or the daily answer, and you should be able to find his show. And that's Monday through Friday at 5 a.m. Eastern time. That's all the time we have for today and all the shows announcements that we have as well. We will check you out next week, Tuesday p.m., Tuesday, 8 p.m. Eastern time for our Keeping My Head On Straight. God bless.